What a time of worship, amen? Oh, God is so good, and today we're looking at, in our Walk With Me series, this reality that he is for you forever. Can you say that with me? For you forever. Jesus comes, and he is for us, and he invites us as a good shepherd into a relationship with him where he says, I'm good, I'm for you, I've got more for you, and and this is available to you now in eternity, but also for the length of days, the amount of days that God gives us. In John chapter 10, I want to read to you as we set the stage for this, verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In fact, Jesus is this good shepherd that lays down his life for us, showing us how much he is for us. And scripture teaches us that you and I are like sheep. In fact, right now, just tell your neighbor, I'm a sheep. You can say with that tone too if you want. If you're online with us, we have a little challenge for you. If you're watching, we have three platforms that are streaming right now, Facebook, YouTube, and our church online platform. The first person online to drop a sheep as an emoji, we checked, there is one. First person to online drop this, we'll give you a $5 gift card to Starbucks. Our host is ready for you. People are in here now scrambling, how do I get on, how do I get on, right? Uh, The reality is that that there is a God who is for us, and he says, I'm a shepherd, and and you're the sheep, and uh, as we look at For You Forever, there's actually a social media app some of you are familiar with, some of you aren't, you've heard about it, you don't know really what it is, it's called TikTok. Uh, TikTok has just infiltrated our culture in the last year or two in significant ways, and one of the things they have on there is this For You page which is a curated algorithm that basically feeds you more of what you want to see. And and as we look at this For You Forever concept, I want to help us shift beyond maybe what we want to see or have been seeing to see more of the reality God wants us to see. Can I get an amen? And so as we lean into this, I want to show you a clip just to give you an idea of this for you forever and for you like TikTok, what is it? Here's a 15 second clip that you may have already seen uh, of a sheep with a shepherd. And maybe you're going to see a little bit of yourself in this. Let's go ahead and play the clip. You can see here the shepherd or whoever that is pulling and rescuing the sheep out of the ditch. They begin to run, and what do you know? They go right back to where they were. Can you relate? Let's show it one more time, because some of you didn't catch it. You're potentially that sheep, right? Uh, God has this way of saying, hey, I have better for you. I want to pull you out of what you're in. And when he begins to do that, we tend to sometimes mistrust his character and go right back, right, to what we're used to in what we can control. As you think about that, you could turn to Psalm 23, and uh, there's a, theo- a late theologian, uh, Ray Anderson, that, that when he was talking about all of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, the 66 books of the Bible, Ray Anderson said this. This is so important because when that shepherd begins to pull and rescue us, if we trust who he is and what he has for us, we're going to follow him Verse going back to our old ways. Ray Anderson said this, The central message of the Bible is that God is good and he is for you. That is good news, church. 
That our God is good and he is for you. That throughout scripture, he is working to restore and to renew and to reconcile and to lead us into his goodness. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in these first four verses, we see God as the the shepherd, the guide that's providing and leading us, and he's good and he's for us no matter what we're going through. The last two verses of Psalm 23 show God as a host, that he's hosting us a table in the presence of our enemies, that in fact he invites us into his house forever. He's a good host. He's for us. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such a good word, isn't it? And yet sometimes we don't necessarily trust the character of God because we've experienced other kind of characters We've experienced other kind of leaders that maybe have left us wanting and hurting. Maybe we've, as sheep, gone to the wrong source. Philip Keller, in his book, uh, around Psalm 23, he was a shepherd. The author then writes this book, and he tells a story towards the end of of his work in, in this particular look at Psalm 23 of a moment where he had, had realized how to cultivate the fields and, and the pasture in a way that his sheep were flourishing. In fact, one of the things he talks about is that when, when a sheep is actually feeding on the right things, part of what they leave behind is good for the soil. See, there's, this is a, a both and today. It's, it's how God is for us, but if he's for us, we also are leaving things behind that are good for the soil and the people around us. And so he talks about how the soil, the land, had really been fertile where he was at, but just across the fence line was another shepherd, a rancher, if you will, somebody who maybe didn't care as closely for his flock and was actually raising his sheep in an area where they were dying, they were hurting, they were sickly. And so he actually found three of the ewes, these small, infantile, little sheep that were hurting and sick and on the brink of death that were just across the fence. You can imagine that they were looking across at this pasture land and wanting to be a part of it, wanting to be a part of the goodness of this other shepherd. But this particular day, he didn't know how to get to that other shepherd or rancher, and and he didn't own those sheep. So what he did was he actually loaded them up in his wheelbarrow. You may have noticed this. And, And he loaded them up in his wheelbarrow, and he took those three sheep to the other shepherd. The other shepherd looked at those sheep and without missing a beat, pulled out a knife and those sheep were no more. Can you imagine? And it broke his heart because he knew that that was not the character of a good shepherd. That in fact, what that shepherd had demonstrated is in many ways how many of us relate to and feel 
about the leadership over us because of how we've been treated. That, that maybe, in fact, part of the issue today is you hear that God is good and for you, but you go, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you have a view of God as being a little bit cutthroat. That if you screw up or make a mistake or something is broken or off, that you're missing what God has for you because you're not sure you can come to him. Did you notice what David said here in verse 6? He said, surely, it's a, it's a statement of confidence, a statement that believes in the character of his good shepherd in the character of God. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The word used around goodness and mercy there is so important. And what we're looking at here is that, that if we have confidence in God's character, if we understand who he is, we're going to have the freedom to follow. Let me say that again for you if you're a note taker. Confidence in God's character gives us the freedom to follow. Church, are you here? That if we understand how good God's character is, we don't fear going to him. We don't fear following him. And, and the Hebrew word there that is used around goodness and mercy is this word that, that you have to pronounce differently. Hesod. Hesod. Can you say that with me? It comes like from this like deep, utteral place. Hesod. I don't even think I'm doing it right. Okay? The word hesod actually means kindness and loyalty. It means goodness and faithfulness. This word used here by David is so important because it speaks to the character of God. A confidence in God's character and who he is. This word is used 245 times in the Old Testament describing who God is. 123 of those times, it's used actually in the book of Psalms as a part of the worship through the ups and downs. The psalmist often calls on us to praise God and to believe in his goodness. Now, as I said, for some of us, we may not necessarily have confidence in God's character, which has nothing to do with God but has everything to do potentially with our experiences in life, things that have left us hurting or broken, maybe bad theology, bad teaching. And so what can happen is we can have in our, our wheelbarrow, our life, if you will, some trash, some things that, that are actually what I would call like stinking thinking. Anybody? Where actually your mind is filled with negative thoughts about God or about you. That you're not able to say like David is saying. That surely goodness and mercy, the hasad of God will follow me. That maybe you're in a place where there's all these negative thoughts and these things running through your head. And it's holding you back from being able to really follow God and to believe that he is for you forever. You know, there was a moment about four years ago, I knew I was struggling. I knew that, that, that even as a pastor and a leader who had been doing it at that time for about 15 years, 
that, that my mind had somehow begun to get to a place where my own negativity, my own stinking thinking, I began to question because the things I had been through, things that I experienced, I began to, I, I could tell you God was good. I could tell you he was for me, but I didn't necessarily believe it in the deepest places of my soul. And God began to do a work on me and began to show me how I needed to really take this thinking, this negativity, and pitch it at the foot of the cross. That in fact, it was at the foot of the cross that Jesus had done something that was available to me. He had triumphed over sin and suffering. He had triumphed over all of the negativity that he was there and available to take it. And do you know that the Apostle Paul, he spoke to this in the New Testament? That in fact, he said in Philippians 4, that, that we need to deal with our negative thinking. And, and actually, I think as we think about the goodness of God and what's available to us, that what Paul says here has something instructive for those of us that are following Jesus. Here's what Paul said. In an age of an anxiety, in an age where statistically anxiety and all of our worries are rising, here's what Paul says. Do not be anxious about anything. What are we to be anxious about? Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known by God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will grant, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, listen, you may have some negative trash that has happened and is in your mind and is holding you back. He's saying when you pray, when you come to God, begin to be honest and bring that stuff to God. And it will guard our hearts and minds. Now notice verse 8 and 9. Because it takes some intentionality. It's not just the act of prayer, but it's the act of beginning to retrain our mind. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So let me tell you again about who your God is. Can I do that for a minute? Let me tell you just for a few minutes about the goodness of God, the hisad of God, and where this shows up in Scripture, because it's there throughout the Old Testament, the goodness of God over and over when we think about these things, we can begin to have confidence in who he is. So in Exodus 34, Moses, God describes himself as abounding in his sod and keeping his sod for a thousand generations. In Exodus 20, God describes himself as showing his sod, his unfailing love, his kindness to those who love and obey him. The prophets throughout the Old Testament, they often encouraged people to return to God, to return to God, citing his hisad along with his grace, that you can turn back to him, you can come to him because he is good and for you and full of grace. 
In the Psalms, believers are asked to focus upon the hasad in praise, on the goodness and the love and the unfailing mercies of God. In Psalms of Lament, in times of discouragement, the psalmist often asks God to deliver us for the sake of his hisad, that, that when we're struggling, when we're down, when we are in a place where life feels like it's trashed us, it would say, come to God and think of his character, think of who he is and what he has for you. In addition to that, hisad is also a characteristic that God desires in his people. Uh-oh, it's about to get personal. That, that in fact, it's not just God that is present with a hasad. He puts it in his people. That, that when David is saying, it follows me all the days of my life, he understood that, that actually in Zechariah, he instructs the people to show hasad to one another. That the prophet Micah explained that God requires justice and hasad and humility. The psalmist shows us that God takes pleasure in those who trust in God's hasad. Proverbs often encourages hasad, God's unfailing love and kindness alongside of wisdom. In the story of Joseph, we see him mentioning to Pharaoh and then to his brothers later in this act of forgiveness, God's hasad. And then David. David makes a covenant with Jonathan, the son of Saul, who acted as an enemy. And he makes this covenant out of this place of wanting to extend God's hasad to Jonathan and then to Mephibosheth, his grandson. Throughout Scripture, you and I are asked to trust the character of God. To have confidence in who God is and what he's able to do. And so let me just ask you the question. Do you trust him? Do you believe that he is good and that he is for you? Because the second point I want to make today is God is for you. And he invites us to be his guests. See, verse 5 and 6, God is hosting. David is saying, listen, I make, he makes a table for me in the presence of my enemies that I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever, which had to do with the presence of God, that our God wants to dwell with us, tabernacle with us. There was actually a tabernacle. Later, there would be a temple. And then as the Holy Spirit was given, we become the temple. That there's a God that says, I am for you and I want to dwell with you forever. He invites us us, his people, to be his guests. He is absolutely the host with the most. Corny joke intended. I even made a slide for that corny joke. <laughs> that in fact, God is a good God that says, listen, when I host you, I'm not like the others. I've got so much more for you. And with that, with that character of God, we will be getting into, as mentioned earlier in the service, a series this summer on the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at how God invites us to be his guests in the family of God. With all the cultural pressures and things we face today, how are we going to be one 
How are we going to come to the table? And the beauty of what we see in Scripture, again, is David had lived this. He wasn't just writing Psalm 23. He was a shepherd, a warrior, and a king. And I want to have you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I want to show you how David put into action the hisad, the goodness, the kindness, the unfailing love of God into action. 2 Samuel verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Saul being the former king that acted in many ways as an enemy of David. He says, That I may show kindness, that's the word hasad, for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And He said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God? Again, the word hasad there. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house. And I'm going to do my best here of Makir, the son of Emil at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makur, the son of Emil at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. And he fell on his face and he paid homage. And David said, Meshebetheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of your of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? This is such a powerful story that illustrates how God is for us. You know, David would be called a man after God's own heart in Scripture. David is demonstrating a level of hasad, of of, of receiving and giving the unforgiving or the the fully forgiving kindness and love of God. He's extending that to the grandson of a former enemy. There's a level of forgiveness that's happening there. But it's not just that. It's the reality that at that table, the king's table, it would not have been common to have somebody like Mephibosheth there who was considered a crippled, disabled, and not welcomed at the tables of power and royalty with a king. David is showing us the heart of God that welcomes and invites all to the table. As this unfolds, Meshebetheth, if you could think about what he's gone through, he's been marginalized, he's been hurt, In many ways, he he could be bitter. He could be so broken that in his bitterness, he was bound up and unable to enter in, unable to come to the table because he was holding on to unforgiveness in his own life because of how people had treated him. Church, God's house, his place of worship, his people, are meant to be a hospital for healing and a home for the healed. 
a place where we find healing, where we receive the goodness of God, and we then begin to be a place where we dwell and we share through the brokenness and the burdens, the things that God is doing. Jumping ahead in 2 Samuel 9, verse 13, it just says, So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. He physically didn't receive a healing, but he received an invitation to the king's table. And Jesus invites us to his table and then asks us, will you invite others to my table? Will you believe that God is for you and he's for others? And and in this invitation is bound up the idea of forgiveness. That forgiveness actually equals freedom. That when we receive the forgiveness of God, we're able to receive freedom from him. And that when we begin to extend the hisad, the kindness, the love to others, that that forgiveness begins to bring not just our freedom, but freedom to them. Forgiveness equals freedom. There's a story that's been floating around on social media recently And in my wheelbarrow, I have one more item. This is a saw. It tells you how handy I am. This is the best saw I could find in my garage. (laughs) And the story is of a snake that was in a wood shop. Maybe you've seen this, that this snake crawled over a saw and got cut. And in its anger, began to hold on and constrict around the saw. And that the more it constricted around the saw, that this snake got cut again. And in that next cut, in that next hurt, in that next place of pain, it constricted again. And this continued over and over till the snake had literally, in its desire for revenge and pain, had literally choked the life out of itself. Some of us, by not forgiving are doing the same. Ken Smead says this. Christian, or Ken Sandy says this. Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. Therefore, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. Let me say that again. Christians are the most forgiving, forgiven people in the world. Therefore, we should be the most forgiving. So church... If we trust the character of God and that he's for us, we can find freedom by forgiving because he's got us. And we don't need to try to hold on and double down and try to get things done our way. The four promises of forgiveness are so important. Ken Sandy goes on to say this, and I just want to put them in front of you today. Four promises of real forgiveness. I promise I won't dwell on this incident. There's nowhere that we see that Meshebepheth was reminded at the king's table of what his grandfather had done. That, that in fact, I promise I won't dwell on this. Secondly, I promise I won't bring it up and use it against you. Oh, married people. <laughs> Parents and children. Right? 
We're not taking inventory and trying to stock an ammo case of artillery for the next round. We're letting go. We're forgiving. Thirdly, he says, I promise I won't talk to others about this incident. (laughs) What's up, church? (laughs) Y'all, we like to gossip way too much, don't we? We like to talk about some of the issues and things. And and it's not just in church. It's in a smaller community. It's really in any community. And so how do we move from talking about the stuff that's happened to the goodness of God? Not gossip. Really forgiving. Fourthly, I promise I won't allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. You mean we can be hurt and learn how to still love each other? You mean we can do something that requires forgiveness and still find mercy in the goodness in it? Let me read to you Psalm 23, verse 6, one more time. Because as you think about what it means for you to let go and forgive today, David, with confidence, reminds us, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And the eyes shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is confident that because of who God is, he's going to receive that, but he's also going to be somebody who can look behind him and say, that's following me. That's what I'm leaving behind. That's the wake behind me, is this goodness and mercy. And so to some degree, the question becomes, what's behind you today? Who's in front of you? Do you trust the character of God? Somebody asked me this last bit. It says that I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And somebody asked me a few months ago, what are you most excited about as the new lead pastor, the new guy at Pathway? I hadn't really thought about that before. There, there could be a lot of things I could name, but do you know what just came leaping out of my mouth? That I know God is with us. That matters to me more than anything. That I know God is with us. And if God is with us, and I know he's for us, come on, y'all, all the other stuff, all the other things are going to fall into place, and we're going to see God move. And he's not going to just do it for pathway. He wants to do it for you today. The last point is that Jesus is the doorway now and then. And he is for you forever. Jesus is the doorway. He is the entry in. He is everything we're looking for. David, in what he shared in the Old Testament, then pointed to Jesus. When Jesus showed up in verses 9 through 11 of John chapter 10, here's what he said. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus says, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Charles Spurgeon once said, You will never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything but Christ. Some of us came in empty. You feel like you were wheeled in in a wheelbarrow today. And I'm here to tell you, there is a good God who is for you, who is the doorway, 
who is saying, listen, will you let go of the the stinking thinking? Will you let go of the things you've been through? Will you let go of holding on to the unforgiveness? Will you place it at the foot of the cross? Will you empty the wheelbarrow, the stuff you've been holding on to and carrying? Will you bring it to me, Jesus says, because I'm here for you. I've laid down my life. I want to fill you in new ways. So three next step questions for you today. Have you stepped through the doorway with Jesus and do his best for you? Whether you're online or in person, if you don't know Jesus, we more than anything, I more than anything, would want you today to hear that there is a God who loves you so much that he came to earth, he died on a cross, he laid down his life for you, and he offers you forgiveness and grace that Hassad we talked about, this loyalty, kindness, and love, it's there for you. And scripture teaches us all we need to do is confess with our mouth and believe with our heart and we will be saved. That's available to you today, whether you're here in person or online. Secondly, will you empty the wheelbarrow, your life, and let God begin renewing your mind? Some of you have had some negativity, some things that that if you're honest, you're in that stinking thinking mode. Scripture teaches us in Romans 12 verse 2 that our God is a God, when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, he begins to renew our mind. He's ready to renew our minds today. And the third question, or statement in fact, is Jesus is for you forever. Will you let him fill your life? today? Will you let go of any unforgiveness? Will you come to him and trust him? I'm going to pray us into a time to respond and to worship him. The song we're going to sing today is is, here is in heaven. Here is in heaven. Talks about changing the atmosphere receiving all that God has for us. I just believe this is going to be a moment for many of us. The altars will be open. That's these kneeling benches to either side of me. The language altar sounds fancy and formal and scary. But it really, an altar, is a place to come kneel and meet with God. As we heard today, there's nothing, shouldn't be anything intimidating about it because God invites us to meet with him. And so you can do that in your seat. You can do that online. You could even come forward to one of these spaces and we have people ready to pray with you. God is for you forever. And I believe as we enter in, he has more for you right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We are humbled in your presence. Father, the world beats us up comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But that is not at all who you are, what you're about. Jesus, we thank you that you represent the fullness of that hasad, that loving kindness, that loyalty, that mercy, that goodness. God, you are for us. And so I pray right now we would enter in to more of your grace, more of your favor, that your presence would be here.
For those that need healing, bring healing. For those that are holding on to unforgiveness, I pray for freedom right now. That we would receive your forgiveness and then be able to forgive others. And for those that need their minds renewed, may it begin now as they think about the goodness of who you are. Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing right now. As we come to you in worship, we thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, let's stand and worship him together. Let's come into his presence. He is for you forever. with 
God's Spirit is here and moving, amen? You know, there was a lot of ground covered today. And I want to encourage you that when we come together, it's to be encouraged and equipped so then we're empowered to go out and live for Him. And sometimes in that space between being encouraged and equipped and empowered, we need some people to talk to, some people to pray for us, some people to say, you know, I, I don't know what I just heard, but I think this is what God is showing me. That's what the church is meant to be, right? It's a community of people that are in this together. So I just want to encourage you, whether you're online or in person, don't be afraid to connect and to say, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I could use help with this, or when Pastor Brian said this, What did he mean? Do you know, actually, in the book of Acts, that's what they did? Church of Berea would listen to the message, and then they would sharpen and make sure it lined up with Scripture. I want us to wrestle like that so we grow and we become the vibrant community that I believe God has put his hand on us to be. Amen? So don't leave without making a connection with someone. If you're a visitor, we've got a welcome center out here. We'd love to connect with you there. We've got a gift for you. Our cafe is there and available. Our prayer team will stay up here. And if you're online, our host is right there right now for you. It's going to be a great journey as we walk with him. His mercy, his kindness is following us. So Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you, God, for this moment. I just ask Jesus, as we walk with you, that we would also walk with one another, that we would continue to see that, God, you are for us. And if you're with us, you are leading us in to the great plans that you have. So, Father, this week, as we love you and love all people in our pathway, I ask that we would grow in you that we would grow in you, Jesus. That people would see your goodness in us, that that's what would be following us. And they would say, hey, you look different, you seem different, tell me more. So God, put your hand on us and walk with us. We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. 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 Have a great week. Go down and be the church.